A few years ago, I was babysitting the daughter of some friends. The young girl wanted to play a card game. I said, great, I love card games. What are we going to play? She pulls out a deck of what looks to me to be a deck of Uno cards. I said, great, I love Uno, let's play. And she said, well, it's, it's a variation of Uno. And I had not ever played this variation before. And so I said, you know, I don't know how to play this game. She said, that's okay, I'll teach you. Well, I did what I think most adults would do in that situation. I said, well, let me read the instructions and then we'll play. And she said, no, 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 it's easy. I'll teach you. You'll learn as you go. I said, okay. So she proceeds to give me some instructions on how to play the game. I'm confused. I'm not really sure what to do. I'm having trouble following what she's saying. I tell her as much, and she says, oh, you'll get it as we play. You'll learn as we go along. I said, okay. So we start to play the game. And immediately, I am on to her. You see, she is a card shark. She modifies the instructions as we go along so that the rules benefit her and deter me. So of course, she wins the game, and she wants to play again. I agree, as long as this time, I can read the instructions before we play. She laughs, and she gives me the instructions. We play another round of the game, but for real this time. I may have been an adult in this situation, but I was at a disadvantage. It was not my house. It was not my game. While I can read and understand instructions, at first I did not have access to the instructions. I was reliant upon this young girl to be my teacher and to give me the correct instructions for how to play the game. She manipulated the game in her favor for as long as she could. At some point in our lives, we have found ourselves at disadvantages. We did not know the rules or the customs or the culture of a particular place or a group of people. We did not have access to the information we needed in order to succeed. And perhaps others may have taken advantage of our ignorance. And at other points in our lives, we may have been the ones at advantages. We knew the customs and what was expected of us. Perhaps we even made the rules. We had access to resources and opportunities. We benefited from privileged positions. When Jesus taught, he was speaking to groups of people made up of the disadvantaged and the privileged, the illiterate and the educated, the poor and the rich, the sick and the healthy, the haves and the have-nots. Jesus' teachings offered hope to the hopeless, good news to the poor, and challenge to the comfortable. Jesus' teachings often disrupted the customs of the day. Jesus' teachings offered a different understanding of God's instruction. I like to think of Jesus' teachings as conversations. Jesus pays attention to his audience. He notices the people who are around him. 
He sees their needs. You see, he notices the people who are dressed in mourning clothes, grieving the deaths of loved ones. He hears the grumblings of stomachs. He overhears conversations the people are having amongst themselves. He sees the divide between the rich and the poor. He has lived that divide. His teachings take his audience and their context into account. Yes, Jesus' teachings may have been direct responses to questions asked of him. And perhaps these teachings are also Jesus' discerning way of responding to the needs and situations of the people around him. In Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is sharing what we refer to as the Beatitudes, Jesus is, he notices all of the people in the crowd, the people who are hopeless, the people who are grieving, those who are hungry and harassed, the humble, the pure, and the peaceful. And what does Jesus do? He blesses them all. Jesus' blessing is not reserved for those who deserve it or for those who have it all together, for those who seem to be hashtag blessed by the standards of the world. No, the hope and the good news that Jesus conveys, it's for all people, no matter the cards they have been dealt. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, we hear these words from Jesus. Don't even begin to think that I've come to do away with the law and the prophets. I haven't come to do away with them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is Jewish. He knows the law and the prophets. He attended synagogue and observed the commandments. He went to the temple in Jerusalem. He knows the religious rules and customs of the day. He practices them. He sees which rules are being followed and which rules are ignored. He sees the powerful people enforcing some rules over the powerless while ignoring those same rules when they apply to themselves. Jesus sees the gap between God's instructions and how the people live out these instructions. Jesus has not come to do away with God's commands or instructions. Instead, Jesus has come to fulfill them or to make them complete. Jesus has come to fill the gap between hearing God's instruction and doing it, knowing God's covenant and living out God's covenant. Jesus illustrates this gap between God's covenant as it was given to the people and how it is lived out in real life. And he illustrates this gap with a series of conversations that follow a similar pattern. Six times Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, fill in the blank, with a particular law. And Jesus responds with, but I say to you. So six times Jesus shares a law and how that law is interpreted or practiced at the time. And six times Jesus seems to expand the law. Jesus doesn't do away with the law. But instead, he offers a fuller, a more complete understanding of the interpretation or the practice of that law. We heard this in our scripture reading for today. 
In Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45, we heard these words of Jesus. You have heard that it was said, you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you so that you will be acting as children of your Father who is in heaven. Jesus reminds the people of the law to love your neighbor. This law is part of the greatest commandment that Jesus gives. Love God and love your neighbor. Jesus reminds the people that they have been taught to love your neighbor, which also somehow means to hate your enemy. Hating your enemy is understood to somehow be part of the law of loving your neighbor. Except it's not. If you go back to Leviticus and read the passage that Jesus is referring to, where we find the law to love your neighbor, you see that hating your enemy is not part of the law. It's not part of that passage. It doesn't even show up. Over the hundreds of years since God gave the law to the people, the people began to interpret the law, the rules that made up the covenant. And they sought to understand God's covenant. And so they began to ask questions. Well, what does it mean to live this out? What does it mean to live out this rule or this law? What does it mean to love a neighbor? What specific behaviors love a neighbor? So they started living it out, trying it. And they figured out that if I want to love my neighbor, then maybe I need to care for my neighbor. I need to tend to the needs of my neighbor. I need to protect my neighbor. So over time, as the people lived out this law to love your neighbor, they understood that to care for and love a neighbor meant that you had to protect your neighbor against anything that might harm or hurt or threaten your neighbor. To love your neighbor means to oppose anything that might endanger them. And maybe over more time, this understanding of the law to love your neighbor came to mean that then you would also hate anything that would harm your neighbor. The enemy of your neighbor was also your enemy, too. By the time we get to Jesus, the law to love your neighbor includes the practice of hating your enemy even though hating your enemy is not part of the written law that make up the covenant. Can you see how this progression happened? How they connected those dots? How over time this instruction to hate kind of got wrapped up with this command to love your neighbor? Let's also remember that very few people had access to the written laws that make up the covenant. Women and slaves were not taught to read. Not all men even knew how to read. People did not have access to the law and the prophets in their own homes. Scrolls containing the law and the prophets were kept in the temple and in the synagogues. But only the rabbis, the scribes, and the religious, uh, religious officials could access them. The majority of the people, they had to rely on oral interpretation of the law, of a rabbi, a scribe, a Pharisee, or some other religious leader telling you what was in the law and the prophets. If people had questions, 
the rabbis, the scribes, the religious leaders, they were the ones that gave the answers. But the majority of people had no way of reading or verifying for themselves. Can you see how the vast majority of the people were at a disadvantage when it came to knowing and understanding God's covenant? Can you see how the people might have incomplete understandings of the covenant? Can you see the gap that developed between the original covenant law to love your neighbor and the understanding of that law that had developed by the time Jesus was living and teaching? Jesus addresses that gap. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you so that you will be acting as children of your Father who is in heaven. Jesus closes the gap by taking the people back to the original intent of God's covenant. God's covenant enables all people to live in healthy, whole, and complete relationships with God and with other people. Jesus tells the people to not only love your neighbors, but to love your enemies as well. Because in reality, your enemies are also your neighbors. Jesus tells the people to pray for the people who harass them. The people who harass them may feel like enemies, but they are also your neighbors. Pray for them. Love them. Jesus anticipates the follow-up questions that the people will ask about what it means to love the neighbor. Well, what if my neighbor does not love me? Who really is my neighbor? Beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 46, we hear, If you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax, collect tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, just as your heavenly Father is complete in showing love to everyone, so also you must be complete. Love your neighbor, even if they don't love you. Love all your neighbors, not just your family, not just your friends, not just your so social circle, not just those who will somehow be a benefit to you. Love, love completely, just as God loves wholly and completely. Love without taking advantage. Love the people, no matter what cards they may have been dealt. Bishop Michael B. Curry offers us this interpretation of what it means to love your neighbor. Love the neighbor you like and the neighbor you don't like. Love the neighbor you agree with and love the neighbor you disagree with. Love your Democrat neighbor Love your Republican neighbor, love your independent neighbor. Love your black neighbor, your white neighbor. Love your Asian neighbor, your Latino neighbor, and your indigenous neighbor. Love your South American neighbor. Love your LGBTQ neighbor. Love your Jewish neighbor. Love your Muslim neighbor. Love, 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 love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is powerful, 
transformative, free and freeing to all. Dr. King was right. We must discover the power of love, the power, the redemptive power of love. And when we discover that, we will be able to make of this old world a new world. Love is the only way. Just as Jesus' original audience needed to hear Jesus say, but I say to you, we too need to return to what Jesus says to us. It is tempting for those of us with advantage, education, opportunities, and privilege to interpret laws in our favor, to justify our actions based on our social norms, and to make up the rules to our benefit. We want to only love our neighbors and hate our enemies, but that's not complete love. Jesus says, but I say to you, be complete and loving everyone, just as God is complete and loving everyone. Let go of your preferences, love. Risk being wrong, love. Return to God's original instructions for us, love. Play by God's instructions, love.